Welcome to the latest in our series of podcasts on MSology.com. I'm your host, Stephen Manners, and today we're going to talk about switching therapies. Many people with multiple sclerosis start treatment with a medication to control their MS, usually one of the injectable medications or an oral drug such as Obagio or Tecfidera. But at some point you may tell your doctor that you don't like the medication you're taking, or your doctor may tell you that it's time to try something else. Why should you switch medications, and what's involved in the process? These are the questions we'll be addressing in this program. With us to discuss switching medications are two guests from the MS clinic at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, neurologist Dr. Daniel Selchin and nurse practitioner Alexander Roll. Welcome to you both. I'll start with you, Dr. Selchin. For a person with MS who's starting a medication, should they expect they'll keep taking that same medication for many years? Or is it likely they'll have to switch drugs at some point? Very interesting question, Stephen. The, uh, by nature, MS is a highly unpredictable condition. Uh, some people uh, will present with fairly aggressive disease, uh, which will then calm down. Other people will present with mild disease that then at some point escalates. Uh, so prediction isn't our strong point. Uh, I think a proportion of patients can expect that they'll be on the same medication for uh, many years. Uh, but a fair number of patients uh, will end up being switched. This has really changed in the last few years uh, because 12 years ago, we didn't really have anything to switch to. Now we have multiple medications with different safety and efficacy profiles. Uh, so our uh, tolerance of treatment failure is now relatively small. So a significant proportion of our patients will end up getting switched. Now, Alexandra, if a patient's being switched on a medication and maybe taking something more potent, do they interpret that as my MS is getting worse or my MS is untreatable? Do they see it as bad news? How do you discuss that with them? A lot of people do find it quite upsetting when they hear that they do have uh, breakthrough disease. Um, I try to explain to them, again, what Dr. Selchin said, that MS is unpredictable. Um, I like to make sure that they know that it's nothing that they have done to cause breakthrough disease and, again, reassure them that there are many therapies available for them, which is a lot different than what MS was uh, years ago. Dr. Selgin, people talk about platform therapies, the injectables such as Copaxone or Rebif, and then the orals such as Obagio and Tecfidera. Then there's a whole list of higher efficacy therapies, Mavenclad, Jelenia, Ocrevus, and Lumtrata. How do you explain these two categories of treatment to people? Uh, well, what I say to patients, and the, the way I think about this, is the, to paraphrase, uh, let the punishment fit the crime. So what we try to sort out when we see a patient uh, is uh, how severe their disease is. As I mentioned earlier, we may sometimes be guessing about that what their risk tolerance is, uh, a whole series of questions around other issues like uh, potential pregnancy. Uh, so we try to sort out what medication fits what patient. So the, uh, the, uh, the notion of platform and first-line medications 
is largely a fiction created by regulators and payers. Uh, so just about all of the treatments that we have available have been tested predominantly as first-line treatments. But it becomes a matter of balancing efficacy, safety, and other considerations uh, like pregnancy. Uh, so I'll talk to particular patients, uh, to each individual patient, about where they are and try to sort out where to go in terms of the parameters that I've outlined. Now, if they're switching to one of these other medications, what can they gain by that switch? Uh, usually, there are two reasons for switching, and or maybe three, but two major ones uh, for switching. One is because of tolerability failures, so a patient may be doing well on a medication, but they're tolerating it poorly. So that's easy to explain, and uh, there's not much of an issue there. Uh, the other is efficacy failure. So what a patient can gain when they, uh, when they uh, switch from a less effective treatment, and the drugs that you've outlined as platform therapies are less effective uh, than the other drugs, uh, what they gain is a higher likelihood of having their disease under control. I presume that with higher gain, there are potentially higher risks. Alexandra, how do you explain medication-related risks to people? So to explain risk of the therapies, what I like to start with is explaining what the risk of not treating their MS would be. As we know, MS is unpredictable, uh, and if we are escalating therapy, then we know that their disease is active uh, and that the next relapse can be unpredictable, and it can leave them with significant disability or residual deficits. So we know that treating earlier with the right agent can reduce or prolong the development of disability. So I always like to weigh the risks of not treating their MS with the risks of escalating therapy. Um, of course, with the uh, escalating therapy, we do have a lot more um, tests and procedures that we do need to perform in order to make sure that they are an appropriate person for these therapies, uh, therefore mitigating it more, some of those risks associated with escalating therapy. After a person goes through all these procedures and starts a new medication, Dr. Selgin, how do you know it's working? Well, there, there are two ways, Stephen. Uh, one is we follow them clinically, so we bring them back for a, a follow-up appointment, usually uh, depending on the medication, three to six months after starting the treatment. Uh, we go through their history carefully and we examine them to make sure that they're uh, clinically stable. Uh, the other thing that we do, especially with the higher efficacy therapies, is we get a baseline MRI, and then we recheck the MRI to see if there's activity on the MRI, if there are changes on the MRI uh, that may not uh, declare themselves as relapse. Uh, so we follow the patients closely in terms of efficacy, and as Alex was suggesting, we also watch them in terms of safety uh, so, again, it de depends on what medication is, but we do test, particularly blood tests, to make sure that we're not causing any problems with a newer medication. What do these blood tests tell you? The most common things that we look for in the blood tests are effect on white blood cells, particularly a subcategory of white blood cells called lymphocytes, uh, which are very important in MS. Uh, but sometimes if, we, uh, if the drug has too powerful a full effect on lymphocytes, it can lead to the uh, risk of certain infections. So that's something that we monitor with several of the drugs. The other thing that we commonly monitor are uh, liver enzymes, 
because occasionally uh, the drugs uh, can have an effect on liver enzymes that needs to be monitored, though that's actually more common with the platform drugs than it is with the, uh, with the drugs uh, that we use for treatment failure. Alexander, with these more potent medications, uh, basically it boils down to either an oral drug or one of the injectable drugs, uh, one of the monoclonal antibodies. Now, where does patient preference fit into this? Do people have specific preferences, and how do you accommodate that? Yeah, so I often uh, speak to patients just about their what their lifestyle is like, if they have um, a demanding job, if they have a family at home that they uh, need to attend to or sick kids that are often around. Um, I'm just trying to pinpoint what would be uh, most accommodating for them. If going for an infusion every six months is doable, you would have to take a day off of work if work would be able to accommodate that. Uh, just assessing um, if this therapy can uh, improve their quality of life, uh, making, making sure that they're still able, um, making sure that the therapy isn't an actual burden on their daily life. So really sitting down and identifying what their needs are and what their wishes are and what their goals of treatment are um, to identify which one would best suit their life, their lifestyle. Alexander, if a person's sitting at home and they've started a new medication and they're not really sure it's working, when should they be calling you? What should they be telling you? What kind of feedback are you looking for from people? So one of the things that we like to make sure patients are aware of is what the goal of treatment is as well. So the goal of therapy is to um, prevent or reduce the number of relapses that somebody has. So if they uh, have just started on a therapy and they're starting to notice some side effects of that therapy, um, we want to make sure that they're able to identify a side effect of that versus a new relapse. Um, so if they are having new or symptoms related to the medication, we always say to call us or even call the support program uh, to let us know what those symptoms, what those side effects are that you're having because there are some things that we can do to help uh, reduce what they're experiencing. Uh, some medications, there's just some tips and tricks that we've uh, learned just from seeing patients from appointment to appointment about how they've been tolerating the medication and what they have done. We, we learn from our patients every day when we see them uh, in terms of how they manage uh, at home with their therapies. Um, and then if they are at home and they are having an MS relapse, we always say it is almost a sudden onset of a new symptom uh, lasting longer than 24 or 48 hours uh, in the absence of any infection. So that we always tell them to keep uh, notes of symptoms that they're having and then see if it does resolve. A lot of people, some symptoms can resolve over a couple of hours, and therefore we wouldn't consider that an MS relapse. Um, but we would always say if, they, if there is something that is prolonged, uh, that we would want to hear about it, uh, because if it is a relapse and they have been on therapy for a certain amount of time, we would then want to consider uh, either uh, getting them in for a neuro exam, possibly switching therapies depending on what the disease activity is, uh, or an urgent MRI if we need it, um, which would all be evaluated by the uh, neurologist at the time of their visit if they're able to come in for a timely appointment. Now, if a person does have a relapse just after starting a therapy, Dr. Selchin, it doesn't necessarily mean the treatment has failed, does it? Uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Stephen. A, a relapse right after starting therapy uh, is usually a reflection on the previous therapy rather than the current therapy. All of these treatments take a while to work. 
there's some differential amongst the different agents in terms of how long that is. But frequently, it's at least two or three months before treatment fully kicks in. So if somebody has something two weeks after starting a therapy, uh, we don't attribute that to the therapy. Now, that's sometimes very difficult to explain to patients. That can sometimes be a real job uh, because uh, patients will sometimes interpret that kind of failure, uh, well, it's not so much failure, that uh, new symptomatology. When they've just started a treatment, they'll attribute it uh, to, the, uh, to the new treatment. So we warn people about this, which sometimes helps and sometimes doesn't. But um, as Alex has suggested previously, uh, we encourage them uh, to call, uh, to call us or email us, uh, because the best way to sort out the issue is to deal with it as quickly as possible. Uh, but uh, certainly all of these medications take a, time, uh, a little while to kick in. Dr. Selgin, any final thoughts about what you'd like people to understand about the process of switching therapies for their MS? Uh, I think we have to keep in mind that the purpose of switching is to try and, uh, and prevent the disease from getting worse. So I think the, the, the important message here is that MS is treatable. Sometimes the course is a little bit complicated. But ultimately, with more effective treatments, we can usually control the disease much more effectively than we could uh, 10 or 12 years ago. And a very large proportion of our patients, after switching, are very well controlled. That's about all the time we have. I'd like to thank both of our guests, Dr. Daniel Selchin and Alexandra Roll, both from St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Check out msology.com for the full list of our podcasts that you can download for free. You can also subscribe for free to msology.com for regular news updates, publications, and other resources. Today's podcast was produced by Anse Michel. Technical production by Raphael Calvieri. I'm Stephen Manners. <laughs>